Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Very, very excited as we transition out of football season, although still plenty of football to talk about with the Patriots. As we transition out of football season, we're switching up our guest list and things like that. So starting today and going for the foreseeable future, we're going to be joined by our next guest, Adam Kaufman. I'll call him Celtics slash New England sports expert at WBZ <laughs> Radio up in Boston. Adam, man, thanks for coming in. Happy to have you as part of the rotation. Happy to do it. Happy New Year. Well, I appreciate it. You as well. You know, I, I consider you the guy I go to uh, most often for Celtics news. So we will talk a lot of C's, but we were just wrapping up a conversation on the Patriots. So let me throw this one at you. Mm-hmm. Nick Casario leaves the Pats and the um, power structure continues to be compromised. When you hear that Casario has gone, big deal or not really deal? No, I think it's a big deal. I think it's definitely a big deal. I mean, you're talking about from a personnel standpoint, Bill Belichick's right-hand man for the last, what, 13 years, going back yeah. to 2008. He was promoted to that position after serving some time on the coaching staff. And he's been with the team for two decades. And I think that you can't really make light of or undersell institutional knowledge, which when it comes to Nick Casario's role on and off the field and practices and obviously up in the offices, he is a significant part of that operation. There is a reason that the Texans spent multiple <laughs> years trying to hire him, why the Patriots blocked it multiple times, why the Texans basically kept that job vacant just so that they could hire him when he became available and why they're giving him this reported six-year deal. I mean, they have obviously long lusted after the guy, and, and Jack Easterby, who's a former Patriots employee, is there in Houston. He was at the forefront of that, and I know some people wondered, hey, will Josh McDaniels be next? It doesn't sound that way based on the reports coming out of Texas, but they do need a new head coach. It is just a – it's a blow. Now, how big a blow remains to be seen. I mean, he obviously – played uh, quite a big role in drafting, development, scouting, all of that stuff when it comes to, you know, being Bill Belichick's top aide in that department. Now, Dave Ziegler would seem to be next in line, but he is also uh, considered a candidate for the Denver Broncos GM job. So if both these guys leave, you know, we're not talking about a full system restart here. I mean, that's never the case when you still have Bill Belichick is the head of the snake, but yeah. it is a a series uh, potentially anyway of significant losses that are not easy to overcome. And you know, a lot of problems in the past could be masked by very simply saying Belichick and Brady. <laughs> well, yeah. you're down one of those guys now, and who knows how much longer Bill Belichick's going to be around. So, you know, I know there are, there are a lot of Patriots fans that sort of fear becoming what the Jets have been or what the Bills were for decades or, you know, what some of these other teams across the NFL are where, you know, like we're talking about, this is the Patriots, but we're just coming off of this is the Patriots first ever seven and nine season. That doesn't mean technically it's their worst season. I mean, Bill Belichick's first year, they were five and 11. They've had plenty of bad years, you know, in the, in the eighties and going back, but they have never before in the history of time, been seven and nine. This is a first, folks. This is history. <laughs> and uh, you know, seven and nine for a lot of teams around the NFL is a is a pretty average year for their franchises. It just so happens to be over the last 20 years what we've experienced here, it is truly unprecedented. Do you want to see the Patriots call Casario and try to get Deshaun Watson from Houston? Because it seems like Watson might not be liking what's happening in Houston. Do you think he's attainable or should fans want to go the the draft and develop route, and maybe it's a little bit longer play, but it costs you a lot less. Oh, I'd love to see them make that call. And I 
I don't think he is available for a price the Patriots would be willing to pay. And it comes down to like, would you give multiple future first round picks for Deshaun Watson? I probably would. I think some people probably would not. It just sort of depends on your perspective. You know, obviously there's a little bit of an injury history there, but we're still don't ignore the fact that the Houston Texans, while they were terrible and went through coaching changes and personnel changes and, you know, only won four games. Deshaun Watson was not the, but one of the top tier quarterbacks in the NFL this year. And he did it on the cusp of losing DeAndre Hopkins, who was arguably the best receiver in the entire NFL. So if you can get Deshaun Watson for a reasonable, justifiable price that you can swallow, absolutely you try and make that call because I just don't know what your options are around guys like that you know it's Jared Stidham's not the guy Cam Newton's not the guy you don't want Andy Dalton you know some people probably be open to a a guy like Jameis Winston maybe a Marcus Mariota becomes available maybe Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo becomes available maybe in some you know total fictional landscape (laughs) the Packers on the on the heels of what looks like an MVP season maybe even a championship season for Aaron Rodgers say yeah but we took Jordan Love in the first round that's our guy going forward maybe he becomes a I don't think it's going to happen I don't but I'm just I'm putting it out there into the universe as something that you know never say never because even Aaron Rodgers earlier this year seemed to speak as though this was his swan song season with Green Bay obviously feeling as as uh, you know, discarded as he did yeah. when Love was drafted, I just think you know there could be some surprising guys like a Watson, like a Rogers that become available. But then there is that next you know a few tiers down of names that we were just talking about, and I don't see how as a Patriots fan you feel great about any of those. Maybe better than you did about Cam Newton <laughs> with some of them, but you can't feel great about any of them. And I don't, I don't think the draft is the answer. I, I don't. Adam Coffin, WBZ Radio, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, I do want to transition to the Celtics. They get a two-point win yesterday over the Miami Heat. Tell me the Heat deserve to lose that game on the basis of those uniforms alone. Those may be the ugliest uniforms I've ever seen in the history of sports. You know what the worst part of it is? And for anyone that didn't see it, pull up a highlight or Google the uniform or look at a tweet or whatever. So the Miami uh, what are they? The city uniforms or whatever, they call them. But, the, but the Miami vice uniforms that they had last year, some of the best uniforms I've yeah. ever seen in the, in the history of time when it comes to the NBA, they were that good. Like I wanted to buy one. They mm. were incredible jerseys. And for some reason, whoever it was decided to wreck them and make them look like a, a tie dye shirt gone bad. Yes. And that it, like, I, I turned on the game And if not for the fact that I looked at the court first, which also mirrored that terrible jersey, I honestly, I was getting ready to like call Samsung. I thought there was something wrong with the picture (laughs) on my screen. And that legitimately, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not like making a joke. I thought there was a problem with the picture. And then I looked, well, the court's kind of messed up. Yeah, it could be the same thing. But the Celtics uniforms are perfectly white. There's nothing wrong here. And, and you, you zero in. And then I, and then I see that everybody else on Twitter is complaining about these jerseys, and I see that it's not just me. It's like, I mean, horrific uniforms that I don't, I don't know. I I haven't heard from anyone that likes them, and I don't, yeah. I don't want to meet that person for that matter. <laughs> they were awful. You know who hasn't been awful though is Peyton Pritchard. He oh. gets the he gets the game winner yesterday on that putback, and you know what? We have spent so much time as a sports society devaluing 
the upperclassman college player. Everybody mm-hmm. wants the 18-year-old, the one-and-done guy that you can mold and develop and has a longer shelf life in the NBA. But in this year in particular, with no training camp really and no real preseason, how important is it for the Celtics to have a four-year college player coming to be able to play? So I heard Brad Stevens, of course, the Celtics coach on the radio the other day, asked a question in a similar vein to what you just asked. And he more or less said, look, I mean, if if you're generally guys don't last four years in college because if you're good enough to leave, you do. And he, it wasn't a, a deliberate slight on Peyton Pritchard. You know, he was just saying like that top echelon talent is gone in a year. That's just the way it works. But to your point about this very strange year, the truncated camp, no real legitimate offseason, no exhibition games of, you know, of, of or at least not a normal exhibition yeah. schedule. You jump right into a very top heavy season. And I mean, we only know the first half of the schedule at this point where it's just so important in transition to be able to have a guy who is, you know, you don't necessarily know what his ceiling is, what his potential is, but you feel like he's headstrong, he's mentally tough, he has enough basketball IQ to be able to step right into your rotation. Unlike an Aaron Neesmith, who was picked higher than him in the first round, there is value in that in a year like this versus others. You know, no summer league, no whatever. Like, if you had asked me, as some did, going into the season, what do you envision this year for the rookies? I would have told you, I thought Aaron Neesmith would you know, maybe not be part of the rotation right away or even necessarily ahead of Pritchard, but would serve a larger role than Pritchard this year. And that Peyton Pritchard would probably spend most of the season watching, or if they were able to get a G League season going, he'd be there getting his reps in, kind of like a Romeo Langford last year around his injuries and or a Carson Edwards or Tremont Waters, guys like that in the past, Taco Fall, certainly. And my God, was I wrong (laughs) and thrilled to be wrong. Like, you know, Aaron E. Smith out there looks lost and, and, you know, but I don't even blame him for that because we're going to credit some of the reasons that, that Pritchard has been successful. It contributes to some of the reasons that Neesmith has been unsuccessful. Yeah. You know, this is a guy who was hurt much of his college season. He's only played, he played what, like 11 or 14 yeah. college games last year. And he's expected to literally step right into the NBA. I mean, it just, it doesn't, it's not supposed to work that way. You're supposed to have, you know, summer camp and and summer league and exhibitions and all this stuff to to welcome to the NBA kid. And you don't he hasn't had that. And and Peyton Pritchard didn't have it either. But he is farther along mentally with the game of basketball. I, I if I'm I might be wrong about this. I haven't looked it up, but he's certainly in the ballpark. Pey- Peyton Pritchard might be older than Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Hmm. He, you know, keep in mind, he was a four yeah. year, as you said, college student. You know, Brown is 22 or 24. Tatum is 22. Pritchard might be 24 himself, or he's at least, you know, he's in that window. And it has been incredibly, incredibly impressive what he has done. I was just talking to Cedric Maxwell before I talked to you. And who, of course, you know, yeah. longtime successful Celtics player, former finals MVP. And, Good and name drop. Good name drop. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll try and give you a couple more before we're out of here. He's... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I said to him, because we were both fawning over Pritchard, and I said, you know, he was comparing him, and I think this is dead on accurate, by the way, he was comparing him a, a lot to Danny Ainge when he was a player. Hmm. And I said, if we were to, you know, modernize it for the younger fan, honestly, I think he's he's a, a less physical Marcus Smart with a better jumper. Hmm. He's just as, you know, mentally tough and headstrong 
and and handsy and throws himself into the game and and wants to be just just in it. Like we say in hockey, you know, like crash the net, go into the corners, go into the dirty areas. Yeah. Pritchard's a dirty areas kind of guy. I mean, he came out of nowhere to come in with that go ahead tip in the final second to win that game in Miami. He is he just he seems like a kid who is who is just so there for the moment, capitalizing on this opportunity, taking advantage when Smart and Ortiz have been out. Obviously, Kemba Walker's not there. They are thin at that position. Tatum and Brown, as amazing a duo as they are, and individually as well, they can't do it all. And a guy like Pritchard, being part of the rotation, part of the depth chart, has been incredibly successful and 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 you know notable to their overall team success. Adam, I'll get you out of here on this. Um, I did not think that Kemba not being there would cripple the team. I still thought the team would be good, but I thought that the team would look worse than they look right now. I just thought Kemba's leadership and ability to take some of the stuff off Tatum and Brown's plate was going to be really important. Are you surprised that they're 6-3 and three playing this well without Kemba? I'm a little surprised. It has less to do with without Kemba and more to do with how poor they've been defensively. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that they've been able to overcome a lot of that to still be six and three and beat some good teams along the way. You know, looking at some of the stats earlier after last night, I think one of the most notable statistics that's kind of defined their success is they are as a team shooting 40% from three point range. Hmm. And it's not like it's one guy, you know, Brown, Tatum, Smart, Ojale, Teague, Grant Williams. Like all these guys are 40 plus percent from three. Ironically, wow. Pritchard's not. He's sub 40% <laughs> and he's arguably the best shooter on the entire team. You know, it's just a little slow to get his yeah. long range shot to fall. But a lot of these guys, they're they're just shooting well. And I don't get me wrong, I think when Kemba comes back, if he and he any given night, a guy can can show out. We've seen that in years past, you know, with the Celtics and across the NBA, for that matter. Like there were Hayward nights, you know, last year where he dropped thirty, as opposed to the forty-four that he dropped yeah. for the Hornets last <laughs> night. Career game, he was awesome. But you know, like Kemba's going to have his nights where he's the leading scorer and he's the guy. But I think Kemba, and he has shown this in the past, not only on the floor but off the floor in in comments that he's made with the media and to teammates. I, I think he's going to be comfortable coming in as the third option. And, you know, I'm really not at all surprised with what Jason Tatum has done. I don't, I don't see how you could be after what he did in the second half of last year and into the bubble. But what Jalen Brown has done, which has a lot of people not only celebrating his contract, who should have been in the first place, <laughs> should have been celebrating that the second it was signed, but also just quite frankly, I mean, going nuts at, at the idea that, wait a minute, maybe we were wrong. Like maybe this guy's ceiling is just as high, if not higher than Tatum's even mm. with his efficiency, the well-roundedness to his game. And as, you know, Max was putting it earlier, kind of the Batman Robin dynamic, you know, Brown is comfortable being Tatum's Robin to his Batman, but maybe that isn't actually the way. I mean, obviously in terms of their individual swagger and the way they carry themselves on the floor and and everyone's saying like it's Tatum's team none of that is wrong like there's a reason he's like a 200 million dollar guy but don't discount you know there were for a period of time look like Jalen Brown maybe his ceiling is perennial all-star well maybe his ceiling is all NBA hmm. and and yeah. we're just starting to get a taste of it because this guy is an improved shooter an improved passer an improved ball handler an improved dribbler and there's just no end in sight. I mean, there's no ceiling to these two players' games right here. And, you know, we're we're loving every moment watching it. 
Well, six and three, and yeah, they've proved me wrong at least at the start of the season. So look forward to seeing what happens. They'll take on the Wizards tomorrow night. Adam Kaufman, WBZ Radio in Boston, is going to join us every week for the near for the uh, foreseeable future here at this time in the Brady Farkas Show. Adam, we appreciate it, man. We will talk to you again next week. Look forward to it.